Well, good evening. Uh, this is Matthew Tilly um, doing uh, my broadcast, uh, which I call podcast. We'll have this up on um, uh, Apple Podcast as well as uh, some of the other podcast services later. But some of you are joining me live, uh, listening in. And if uh, you're listening to this later, you're always welcome to join me. Uh, most Tuesdays at 7 p.m., I uh, come on here live. Uh, to do this Bible study. Right now we're studying uh, the Gospel of Mark, really focusing in on the first three chapters of gospel, the Gospel of Mark. Um, I don't know, we might uh, might continue on past that uh, once we get to that point of the end, but uh, just for my own sanity, I have to keep, the, keep this focused in on a certain section. I mean, uh, Mark is 16 chapters, uh, which is not terribly long, but um, if I, if I had was committed to a 16 chapter analysis. Oh my goodness. That would take a couple of years. It feels like, but uh, three chapters, I think I could do that. And hopefully this will give you that are listening in uh, something to focus in on that. That's why I do it. Trying to help you. I help myself as I, as I study this, as I think through this. Um, and as I, as I study this, in fact, uh, this passage tonight, um, I've actually preached a message on this. Uh, some of those the, those of you that are on here from Ellisboro Baptist Church, you might remember this, assuming you remember specific messages. I remember them, uh, but I remember preaching a message on this passage uh, when I was there uh, earlier this year, in fact, um, um, on March chapter one. And uh, I entitled that message exactly what I've titled this study, which is Jesus defeats the devil or he beats the devil every time. Uh, so uh, anyway, I'm kind of looking at it more from a study perspective, but uh, this is something I have had a chance to think on some, and I'm very glad to uh, to, to, to study it with you tonight. But uh, we'll be in Mark chapter one, and if you were with me last week, you'll know that I'd already examined this incident in verse 21. Uh, let's see, it goes down to about verse uh, 28, uh, where Jesus goes into the synagogue. But tonight, I'm still going to look at that part, and I'm tacking on a few more verses, going all the way down to verse 39, because I believe that this passage, uh, very specifically, I believe it's on purpose. I don't think it's an accident, but I believe this passage uh, introduces us to a, a significant theme that's in the book of Mark. Uh, Mark brings this up, you'll see it in a couple of places, um, and that's a common theme of the fact that uh, there's demonic activity. Uh, you'll see this in a couple of places. It's not a comprehensive list, but just to give you an idea of it, uh, just a couple more uh, chapters later, um, he, in chapter three, in fact, verse 10 and 11, it, Jesus is casting out demons and he's healing people, but he's casting out devils there. Um, later on in chapter three in verses 14 and 15, he actually gives his disciples, he's called his disciples in chapter three, and he gives his disciples the ability to cast out demons. Um, and then uh, there's actually a debate that happens with uh, the Pharisees in chapter 3, verse 22, and some following verses there. And they, the Pharisees actually get on Jesus's case because he is able to cast out demons, which sort of seems like, you know, he's the good guy if he's able to, to, to have power over the demons. But they seem to sort of take that as a, an indication that maybe just maybe uh, he's in cahoots with the devil because of that. But but the point is that this is something that's a point of discussion. Then two significant chapter passages in chapter five and then in chapter nine. In chapter five, there's a, a pretty fairly famous story, if you know the, the Gospels, 
of the demoniac of, of Gadara, where there's a man who's running through the uh, the graveyards, and he's demon-possessed, and Jesus, of course, uh, heals him of that, takes that demon from him, casts it into the pigs, you know the story, and the pigs run down the embankment into the into the water. And then in chapter 9, there's a man who has a, a young son who is, this boy apparently is being hurt, physically hurt by the demons, has been with this uh, boy for a long time, and he brings his son Ultimately, he was trying to bring him to Jesus, but Jesus wasn't there at the moment. So he brings him to the disciples and the disciples can't take care of this. Jesus shows up, of course, takes uh, takes the demon from the boy. But the point of that, and that's like I said, there, there's other incidences, but those are just a few of the early on in the first half of the book. Um, to simply say to you that this is a common theme in the book of Mark of demonic activity, demonic possession, demonic uh, work that's going on. And and I don't know. I don't know how you think of that. I, I, uh, I know some people can get a little hung up on demons and all that kind of thing, and almost to the point of glorifying it and being a little bit obsessed with it, uh, cultic kind of things. On the other hand, there's some Christians who almost ignore it as if it's not a thing, as if it's just uh, the thing of movies and fairy tales. But the Gospel of Mark makes it very plain. Again, if you, if you take the, the scripture seriously and as 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 reflective and informing real life as I do, um, you can't read God, the Gospel of Mark without seeing that there is indeed absolutely demonic activity here. And I believe you got to help us understand what's going on with Mark and why this is a theme. First of all, it's true, it's real. So I think that's part of it. But you got to realize who he's talking to. I, I believe, as, as I understand, um, again, not, not, original to me, other other people who've studied this and, and I've read after them. Um, I believe that John Mark, the, the author that God used here, is writing to Roman Christians. That is his primary audience. So this will be Gentile Christians, but they're, they're living after Jesus has already up, uh, has ascended up into heaven. So they're on this earth and they're in the Roman, the, the city of Rome, which is a very pagan city. And they are day after day bombarded with, I mean, just everywhere they go, uh, there's going to be on street corners. Like in today, I mean, I, I live up here in, uh, in, in Ash near Ash County and Wilkes County, North Carolina. And everywhere I go, I see a church here and a church there and a church here, which is great. And these are Christian churches. And I believe most of them, if not all of them, uh, believe the truth about Jesus. But if you can imagine that kind of uh, a place where you see all these churches, but instead of churches, they're temples where people are worshiping not just not just a different version of Christianity or or just you know believe some different things, but are actually worshiping what I happen to believe are truly demonic beings, uh, non non deities, things that are not truly God and are actually proposing to be God, and they're they're worshiping that and they're they're participating in. Some, some terrible, terrible practices, some sexual deviance, drug use. Um, they, they, are, they are looking to these gods to provide for them. So, so you've got a lot of things going on. And here you are, a Christian, identifying with the one true God. You're identifying with Jesus. You're following Jesus. And you're seeing all this going on. And you're sitting there thinking, man, they have a... And, and, and don't forget, they've got a lot of... They being the, 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 the religious uh, elite of the moment... Would have had a lot of control over your life they they might have uh if you didn't worship in the right temple and didn't say the right prayers and say you agreed with the right set of beliefs you 
you might actually uh, lose your job or you might get in trouble or you might run afoul of some things. So they had a lot of power. And I believe that's why John Mark is writing this to those Christians. And I think to, to, to us today to help us to see, listen, there's some, some powerful forces in this world that you may not fully understand. You may not fully be able to grasp, but that's out there. And I want to show you, and I want, I, Matthew, want to show you what John Mark gives us here of what is happening with these demons and how they, these demons are in uh, are controlled, rather. They're not in control. They are controlled. Before I begin really looking at the text, I want to take a minute to just ask the Lord for some help. Uh, I hope that you'll take a minute now as you're going to study this with me, and hopefully you'll have a copy of your scripture in front of you, open up the Bible. Uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter one and look along with me. But ask the, the, the Holy Spirit, ask the Lord to, uh, to open your mind, open your heart to not only understand this, but actually to apply it. Would you pray with me to that end? Uh, Lord, I am asking for you to help me to teach. Um, as, as I say that, I, I, um, I know that I'm not necessarily bringing anything to this study on my own, but I pray that you'll use me. There are some folks who that I know and love and they're, they've joined and they want to hear about this. And, and I pray that I can be a help to them, but more than me being help to them, would you use me? Would you speak through me? Uh, please open our eyes and help us to obey. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In this passage, I won't take the time as we're uh, going through this together to read word for word every verse here, but I want to point out to you, um, in fact, if you're on Facebook, some of you that are on Facebook, you can actually see in some of the notes that I've made uh, uh, this laid out on there, uh, that there's three movements in this passage, uh, starting in verse 21. Uh, this is the passage or the movement, if you will, that I talked about last week. Uh, it's Jesus in the synagogue. So verse 21 to verse 28, Jesus, Jesus is in the synagogue. He goes into the synagogue. He's teaching. He's, he's, he's uh, sharing the word of God there. And as he's doing that, there's a man who is, um, how do, how's it put there, that he is, oh, I lost my place there. He, uh, he has an unclean spirit. That's the way it's described there, verse 23, uh, that cries out and, and just really makes a scene and, 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 and basically says, Jesus, why are you here? Um, and Jesus cast the demon out of that man. Uh, but then the next movement starts in verse 29. And in verse 29, this is after they leave the synagogue. You can see there forthwith when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew. So this is Simon. You might know him as Peter. It's Simon Peter. Um, and then his brother is Andrew. So they, it was going to their house. And it looks like, and if you go down to verse 20, or excuse me, verse 30, it's Simon's wife's mother. So you've got to think about the kind of living situation. So there would have been a house there and they would have probably had the extended family. So you've got si Peter and Andrew. So the two brothers are probably living there. Their, their mom and dad might be living there. Of course, Peter's married his, and his, his wife's mother is in this house. So this is, if you can imagine a house that has just sort of the extended family living in it, and that's where they're going. And then it says in verse 30 that his wife's mother, his mother-in-law is sick of a fever. And, uh, and, and, and they, they came to tell, they told Jesus about this. And then in verse 31, of course, he, he heals her of that. The fever leaves him and, and she was able to, uh, to, to, to serve them, uh, probably a meal or something like that it talks about ministering unto them. And then in verse 32, they're still at this house 
And it says, when the evening the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And then it talks about how uh, Jesus actually heals those people. So the point is that this is movement number two, that he's at Peter's house, Peter's mother-in-law's house. I'm not sure who whose house it would have been, but it would have been that extended family's house. He's there and he's dealing with demonic activity there as well. Then in verse 35, so after... Uh, in verse 34, 33 and 34, he talks about how he cast out the devils there at the house. But verse 35, the next morning, they get up and uh, Jesus goes out and he goes out to a solitary place, it says in verse 35, and he's praying. And then Simon, so remember, you know, Simon, Peter, Simon, and, and Andrew, uh, it said Simon and they that were with him followed him. So they're, they're all in the house together and they say, well, Jesus is gone. Where is he going? So they, they go with him. And then they tell him, listen, you're going off here and everybody's looking for you. He says, all men seek for thee. And Jesus says in verse 28, 28, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also for there came I forth. He said, I've got to go and tell more people. I've got to talk to people about this is the whole message he's introduced in the first 15 verses, which is that he's preaching the message of the kingdom. Uh, the mess, the kingdom of God is at hand and repent, believe the gospel. So that's what he's going to be telling everybody. But then he says in verse 39, so he goes and does that. He preaches in their synagogues throughout all of Galilee and cast out devils. So he essentially, the thing that he did in verses 21 to 28, going into the synagogue and teaching, he does that all over the region. And everywhere he goes, he's casting out devils. That's something that's happening every everywhere he goes. So you've got these three movements. Each of those movements one of the things that's a common theme is demonic activity. Verse 23, you've got unclean spirit in one man. Verse 32, there are people that are possessed of devils and Jesus releases them of that possession. Verse 39, he goes all throughout the region and he cast out devils. And, and, and that word devils and the spirits, it's talking about demonic activity. These are, are, are evil spirits. These are evil, evil um, uh, spiritual beings who are... Uh, possessing, uh, controlling, uh, doing things to people, uh, making uh, they're physically, it's hurting them, doing damage to them. And, and Jesus deals with these issues. Now, I want to make sure you see this in this section, in these three movements. Yes, he does heal people. And you know this about Jesus's ministry. He does heal people. There are blind people who can't see, but Jesus gives them sight. There are people who, who can't speak and he allows their tongue to be able to, to, to move. There are people that are, are they're lame in their legs, not able to walk. And Jesus gives them uh, the ability to stand up. So he even brings people back from the dead. I mean, there's there, the amazing things that he does to the physical needs that people have. Uh, uh, Peter's or Simon's mother-in-law is one. She's She's got a really bad sickness. I don't know what it was, but it says she had a bad fever and Jesus took that from her and she was able to get up and minister to those, serve those people in the house, the, the kind of work that she would have wanted to be able to do. So Jesus does deal with the spirit or rather the physical issues. But in this passage, there's more emphasis in Jesus's ministry on the spiritual issues. And I would actually argue, I don't have all the, the mounted up evidence to sort of you know, uh, uh, articulate this argument in, in a lot of detail. And you probably don't have the attention span to do it either if I had it. But, 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 but I would argue that Jesus is actually more concerned 
with the spiritual condition of these people than their physical condition. In fact, uh, there's one case where Jesus does heal a man and then he tells the man that he's forgiven him of his sins. And people are scandalized, not that Jesus healed the man, but that he forgave him of the sins. And Jesus says, listen, I can heal people. That's not a thing, but I can actually, I'm able to forgive sins as well. And that's really what I've come to do. So the point of that is to say that Jesus is, is more concerned with and is urgently dealing with the, the spiritual conditions as well as the physical conditions as well. So this common thing, this is a common thing that keeps coming up over and over in Mark. And I think the reason it's coming up is, first of all, I want to make sure that you hear this, that it's, it's kind of validating to the follower of Jesus. What I mean by that is when we're walking through this world, we need to understand that there's more going on than meets the eye. Let me put a verse up here for you in um, uh, 2 Corinthians in chapter 4 and verse 18. And it's the last part of that chapter where it says that the things that we can see, the things that are seen are temporal. They're passing. You know, these physical things, even this body that I'm in, it is temporary. I'm going to live somewhere forever, but it's not going to be this skin and, and this hair and, and, and this, these arms and fingers, that's not what's going to live somewhere forever. It's the real me, the, the person that's here. And there's a spiritual uh, uh, a reality of who I am. That's going to live eternally. The things that are not seen, you can't, you can see the impact of who I am, but all you're seeing is this shell. And, and, and please don't misunderstand me. It's not to say that the body's not important. We, it very much is. And we live in these bodies, especially if you have pain or some kind of suffering because of maybe cancer or a disability or something. I, I, please, I'm not dis diminishing that, but I am trying to get the point across to you that your spiritual being, who you really are, that is the most important aspect of who you are, because that person, who you really are, it is the one who is damaged by the sins of your body. It is the one that is blessed by the, the truth of God's word. It is the one who will spend eternity in hell if, it reject, if you reject God. It is the one who will spend eternity in the presence of God if you accept Jesus as your savior. And, and this is what this is one of the things that this idea of the spiritual, the, the evil spirits and all that, it, it can get a little spooky for some people. And, and it can get a little weird if we start thinking about it in these kind of cartoonish word uh, uh, means. And, and I think the gospel of Mark's trying to remind us there's more going on here than sometimes you can actually see with your eyes. You're going to live somewhere forever. And there is demonic activity going on that is trying to prevent you from one seeing that appreciating that and pursuing the truth of who Jesus is in is in the devil's best interest for you to simply say you know what forget all this stuff I'm just going to do what feels good to my body and there's a lot of people that do that but what the the, the way of Jesus is it's not about what feels good to my body. It's about the ultimate truth, knowing that there's a real being that is going to live somewhere forever. And that no matter what happens to this body, that I have the promise that I have eternity with Jesus Christ. Yet 
don't miss there are there is demonic activity that is that is trying to affect me it is is a much the attitudes and the emotion uh those things as they are that the spirit the feelings of things as it is the actions and the words and the deeds let me make sure i, I sort of dissect that for you just to help you think through that the, the, this demonic activity, I believe it's actual demons, actual evil spirits, uh, fallen angels, uh, to use the, the scriptural reference. Uh, I believe that's actually what we're talking about here. But what those demons and those activities do, it's much more about souring you on the truth. It's much more about getting you upset. It's much more about you having a spirit uh, that is, like the way that Mark puts it here, an unclean spirit that might drive you to temptation, that might uh, might prevent an unbeliever from even understanding the gospel, seeing the truth of Jesus, the beauty of Jesus. These are the attitudes. Now, does sin ultimately destroy? Absolutely. The actions, the things we say, the things we do, absolutely. But with the demonic activity, can't, the demons can't make me do anything, especially as a, definitely as a believer, because they can't possess me. But as an unbeliever, they can't even make me do anything, really. But what they can do is control the mind. They can actually uh, try to uh, direct the spirit. And that's what that's what's going on here. And what you need to see is that this rather this um, demonic activity, it's going on everywhere. Uh, It's in verse 21 and, and in verse 39. In both of those places, it is in religious gatherings. That's that should be shocking. Jesus is going into synagogues and there are people there that have demonic spirits in them, influencing them, affecting them. It's it's in homes. So Jesus is going into Peter and Andrew's family house. These are, these are good people. I, I don't think there's anything, if this is I can tell from scripture, these are, these are just good old salt of the earth people. There's nothing demonic or evil about them. And they're living in this community. And what happens? They come comes to their door. I mean, if you go down to verse, um, uh, excuse me, in verse uh, thirty-two, at even when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and that were possessed with devils. So you've got people flocking to this, for all intents and purposes, a middle-class house in a good neighborhood, and they're flocking there, and they've got demonic oppression on them. And Jesus, of course, heals them, but it's in those places. And in fact, it's not just in this one place. As Jesus goes out throughout the whole region, they're everywhere. It's not just in the bad part of town or on that side of town. It's everywhere. Everywhere they go, there is this demonic activity. And as it's happening, as this demonic activity is going on, it's damaging. It's deceptive. It's showing people lies. I know there's a lot of talk in our in our world today about uh, what do they call it, uh, fake news and and uh, you know all that kind of stuff. And and I think some of that is absolutely at the heart of it. It is demonic activity trying to confuse, trying to deceive, trying to upset people, trying to turn people against each other. And that's what's going on here. And and as a result of that, there's physical damage that happens. There's emotional damage that happens. I I know that um, it's just so deceiving what the devil can do. And then ultimately it's antichrist. You've got, when Jesus shows up on the scene, what happens? All the devils come out and try to stop him and try to say things against him, try to upset people about Jesus. And, And Jesus, he 
he's there and he's showing he is in control. He is in power. But I just want you to understand, first of all, that I think this should be validating to us as believers to know, yes, there's demonic activity everywhere. And yes, it's doing damage. And yes, 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 they're trying to stop our Savior. But it's validating to know there's a battle going on that is beyond what we can physically see. And we are by faith believing in our Savior and we should be following after him. But it's not only validating that way, it's also instructive to us. So there is only one answer to all of this. I mean, if you got all, I mean, it's kind of a bleak picture if you think about it. Demons everywhere, even in the church. And uh, there's, uh, there's just everything, you, every, all these demons, when they start doing their stuff, they're destructive. And in Mark chapter 9, the, the little boy is like thrown into the fire. I mean, it's just, it's pretty terrible. So it's kind of a bleak picture. But in just in this passage, there's three places Verse 25, verse 34, and then in verse 39. Do you know what the common thread that those three verses is? Jesus delivers people from this demonic activity. He is the rescuer. He is the one that takes away the influence. He blunts Satan's influence. We have to take Jesus everywhere we go. I think, again, I know it's another passage, but I think it's instructive here. Mark chapter 9, the disciples, they try to cast this demon out. They can't do it. Why? Because they're trusting in their own strength. They have to, Jesus says in Mark 29, verse, uh, Mark 9, verse 29, he says, you can't get this out on your own. You've got to do this by prayer and fasting. You have to depend on me fully to do this. So if we want to, if we want to blunt Satan's influence, we want to silence his lies. We want to stop his damage. We want we want to reverse the impact of the of the evil one. We had better be relying on the rescuer. He's the one that can do that. He's the one that says, "Listen, you cannot do this on your own. You better repent, quit following after whatever else you want to." This is chapter one and verse fifteen, Mark one fifteen. He says, "Repent, stop that. I'm here now." Follow me. I'm the one that can do that. Yeah, you're going to see some resistance. Yes, you're going to see that the devils will pop up and raise their rear their ugly heads, all kinds of places. But Jesus is calling to follow after him. Now, when Jesus is in control, when we are following after him, what's what's going to rule? Well, it's going to be the spirit of Christ, not the spirit of the evil one, not the demonic spirit. It's going to be the spirit of Christ. And when he's ruling, when he's reigning, basically you can you could basically count on what is it he says in uh, verse twenty five? Uh, Jesus rebukes the devil and says, "Hold thy peace and come out of him." It's a nice King James English, but he's basically saying, "Devil, shut up, and get out of here." That's when Jesus is in control, when he's the one that we are following after, when we're taking him everywhere we go, when we're trusting him. He's saying to the devils, sit down, sit down, shut up. I've got this. You leave my people alone. Because when he is in control, when we are submissive to him, that's when we have, and, and I'll reference um, in Galatians chapter 5, um, there's what's called the fruit of the spirit. Galatians 5, 22 uh, and 23, I believe, are the verses there uh, where it's talking about uh, the fruit of the spirit. So when we have the spirit when we are submissive to Christ, when we're following him, we have his spirit, not these demonic spirits. They're everywhere. They're having damage. They're doing all kinds of stuff. But if we will stop trying to fight them, 
and follow Jesus, what do we get? Not damage, not deceptive, the deception, none of that. What do we get? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I mean, and that's essentially just what Galatians says is the fruit of the spirit. Where Jesus reigns, the spirit is in control. Where Jesus is followed, the spirit reigns and we can praise Jesus. Now, the, the one thing I'll, I'll, I'll caution you on in that Galatians passage, so that's the fruit of the spirit. Paul in Galatians 5, before that, gives us the fruit of the flesh. He also tells us, listen, if you're not going to submit to Jesus, if he's not going to be your, your the one that you're following after, your master, your rabbi, your, your, your teacher. If you're not going to be his disciple, you're going to be then following after the flesh and the fruit of the flesh. And what you've got there is adultery, sexual deviance, immorality, promiscuity, materialism, drug abuse, jealousy, hatred, fighting, Clicks, envying, and drunkenness, excess consumption. I mean, and the list goes on. It's just the, the, the things that we're worried about. Can I just level with you? The stuff we're worried about, where the devil reigns, that stuff, why does it show up? It's those places where Jesus is not honored. Those places where Jesus is not seen as the master. Because where he is followed the spirit reigns, and it's love, joy, peace. I can speak from personal experience. I've had a situation uh, not too long ago, unfortunately, not that long ago, where I was in that situation, and it was clear, probably the clearest I've ever had, that there was demonic activity in my presence. And what I saw in that situation was the deception and the damage that the devil can do to young people, to, to families, I saw it. I saw it happen to an entire church that the devil deceived and damaged an entire church. And I don't say that lightly. Actually thinking about it now scares me to death a little bit. But you know why that was? Because we had the fruit of the flesh. And, and, and this man here speaking to you now, I can even see it in my own, my own culpability of having that fruit of the flesh where these things were allowed to happen. This, this spirit of iniquity, this unclean spirit flourished because Jesus was not put or allowed to be in his rightful place. Now, makes my language is a little wonky there because ultimately Jesus is in control. He's the master. He's sovereign. But am I submissive to him? And I know in that situation that there were several people, and I won't name names because that's not the point, but I can tell you, Matthew was one of them. Matthew was one of those that he had not followed Jesus the way he was supposed to do that. And I can promise you that when that happens, that's where the devil flourishes. It's kind of like if you've got a, uh, uh, you've got a space, maybe it's a crawl space in your house or something like that, or somewhere that's kind of hidden away and, and nobody gets down there very much and some moisture gets in and nobody cleans it and it just kind of festers and get all that mold growing and it just kind of grows and grows and grows. And if it gets out of control, it could actually do damage to the structure that it's in. But where there is the right influence, the one that's in control in this case, you know, cleaning supplies that come in and, and clean up that mess. Um, 
then that, that, that stuff can't flourish. And, and I, well, I guess what I want to get across to you from this text, if nothing else, is that the devil is real and he's active. And, and I hate to give you bad news, but you can't beat him. Second uh, Peter, I can't remember the exact place in Second Peter, but over in Second Peter, um, he talks about how it's uh, kind of foolish thinking to think you somehow can get kind of grab the devil by the tail. And that's the reality. You can't. You can't beat him in your church. You can't stop him with your children. You can't stop him in your home. He's going to try to speak to your mind. He is going to, to get into your, uh, into your priorities and your focus. I mean, he's going to try every which way he can to make sure that your life, your surroundings are uh, just a, a breeding ground for iniquity, for sin, for evil. He's going to want that to be the case. And he's going to try his dead level best. And he's going to succeed unless you follow Jesus. When you follow Jesus, you need to know that Jesus has already beat the devil. In this passage, he does it at least three times. And so two of those times are actually multiple times over. But at least three times he's beaten the devil. But furthermore, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, right after the first man and the first woman's sin, there was a prophetic promise given that there would be a Messiah who would come. There would be one who would come that was the seed of a woman, and he would bruise the head of the serpent, the devil, that evil one. And that serpent, the best he's going to get in is a lick on his heel, but that serpent's head would be crushed. That word bruised in the King James is not simply he's just got a little knock on his noggin. No, this is we're talking about flat-headed, crushed to the ground, completely smushed in. That's what's going to happen to the devil. So I'm worried about the devil. Can I just level with you? I've seen it firsthand what he can do. I, I've seen it. I was there. I was in that situation, and I look back on it now and think, why didn't I see it and do something different? And I'm worried about that happening again. But you know what, I, what, I, what I'm learning from this passage? And I hope you're learning from this passage. I can do nothing about it. But I can lean on the one who already has. His name is Jesus. And let's just take him everywhere we go. If we do that, oh my, he is in control. And the devil doesn't stand a chance. Not a bit.